Amen. Thank you so much, Trevor, and the team for leading us in worship this morning. Um, good morning. Uh, most of you know me. My name is Brianna, and I serve here at BCBC as the student ministry coordinator. Um, Dan is actually out of town this weekend and asked me to introduce our guest speaker this morning. Um, and so I'm very happy to introduce you guys to Pastor Mark this morning. Um, Pastor Mark and his wife, Doris, lived in New York for many years and uh, recently moved here following the call to serve at Life Action Ministry alongside uh, Pastor Dan and Dell. Um, and so we're so excited to have them participating here at BCBC, um, and we're very excited to have him share from God's Word this morning with us as we continue our series in basic Christianity. Um, and so I'm going to invite Pastor Mark up here with me, and I'm going to pray for him as we prepare to hear God's Word this morning. Dear Lord, I thank you so much um, for this morning. Even though it's snowing and I would like sunshine, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the breath in my lungs, um, and I thank you for... For each moment, each interaction, each smile, each hug this morning, God, fellowship is, um, it's so healing to the soul every day. Um, and so I thank you for this time together. I thank you for the freedom that we can gather here um, and for the safety of knowing that we can gather um, in a safe place. God, I pray that you would um, speak through Pastor Mark this morning, um, that it would be your spirit speaking through him and not his words, um, and that all of us here today, we'd be able to open our hearts um, and our minds and our souls to your word and to growing closer to you and growing in our understanding of you and in our relationship with you. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, and uh, congratulations on successfully navigating the time change. Uh, well done. Well done, indeed. Um, as mentioned, I was a pastor in western New York. It's out, outside of Buffalo, go Bills, uh, for nearly 20 uh, years until last year, God uh, worked in our lives to call us to Life Action Ministries, and we moved uh, just this last fall. In October, we landed out here. We found a home to live in. We are lo still looking to find a home church to worship and serve in. Uh, so we've been here a few times. My, my face might look familiar to a few of you. And um, I just want to say this. Uh, we, we visited a few churches, and by far, you have been the friendliest and warmest church that we have uh, been to, and uh, so you all are nice people, <laughs> so way to go. Uh, congratulations on that uh, as well. I just want to share a little bit about our family, just so you get to know us a little bit before we get into the Word this morning. So this is uh, my wife and I. And our two sons, uh, we have some daughters, we'll show you that in a minute. And actually, this is a picture taken last summer as we were getting ready to transition out here to one of our new most favorite places in the world, Silver Beach. And uh, so yes, my son Ryan is really pretty much that much taller than me, um, but it wasn't really a hard goal to surpass. Uh, but uh, that's Ryan, our oldest uh, son, and then Chad uh, is the younger one, the caboose of our family, my wife Doris. Uh, they're here, they're over here. I'm not going to make them stand because I would like to eat lunch uh, today, so we're not going to have them do that. But you can meet them afterwards. We also have four daughters. Um, and uh, we have, Allie's the oldest, all the way over on the right. They're in age order. That's rare we get a picture where they're actually in age order. But Allie over on the right, she lives in northeast Pennsylvania. She is married. Her husband has his own business. They have two little girls and a third little girl coming this spring, so we're kind of excited about that. And Amy is the second one over, and uh, she is married as well, uh, still lives in western New York, 
and her husband is in management with Caterpillar, or Cat as people call it, and they have a, a son, and then Meg uh, lives in Batavia as well and is working full-time there, and then Bree is our youngest. A few people in here might recognize Bree because Bree works at Revive Our Hearts, and uh, it's part of the story of us landing there, which will be for another day, landing at Life Action Ministries. So that's our crew. We had four girls five years apart. Twelve years later, we had a son. And then five years later, we had another son. Uh, so uh, there's actually there's 22 years between our oldest and uh, our youngest, but God has blessed us and uh, we're thrilled uh, with the family. So I'm carrying on in the series. Uh, Pastor Dan just asked, hey, would you be able to Phil Pulpit this week, and would you be willing just to carry on in the series? So I said, sure. And uh, so we are doing Counting the Cost this morning, which will be the next chapter in the book that we're working through. So if you are in that book, you read chapter 9 this week, uh, you'll, you'll uh, get a further uh, picture and teaching into uh, what we're going to be covering this morning. Now, when I hear this phrase, counting the cost, I go to a phrase that I use quite a bit in my ministry time, and that's this, all in, all the way. Uh, following Jesus means this. Uh, it's maybe more of a modern way, if you will, of saying, <laughs> counting the cost. It is, I am all in, all the way with, with Jesus. You know, salvation uh, comes at a cost. It, it costs God his son's life. And salvation will cost us ours. I don't know how many of you ever heard the, the, the saying or the way it was expressed in, in years gone by, uh, something along these lines, accept God's offer of, or free offer of salvation. Accept God's free offer of salvation. That sounds awesome, right? I get everything and it costs me nothing. Well, that's not... <laughs> quite uh, accurate. It does cost us something to receive God's salvation. It costs us renouncing ourselves and announcing our complete allegiance to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and if you, if you stop and think about that, even just for a few minutes... This announcing ourselves, and renouncing ourselves and announcing to the world that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. There's a high price in that, isn't there? Listen to Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. You don't have to turn there, but just listen. I'll read the text to you. It says this, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? 
Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. It says further in Luke 9 this, Then he said to them, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's pretty expensive language, isn't it? It's pretty expensive. And Jesus, on several occasions, challenged his disciples and his wannabe disciples with this kind of teaching. If you're going to follow Jesus, you will have to be all in all the way. I heard someone recently say this, the reason there are so many flat squirrels on the road is because they cannot commit to a decision. <laughs> right? <laughs> Squash. You see, there is no such thing as all in some of the way or part way in all the way. See, that is flat squirrel theology. There is only one, uh, one option, and that is all in all the way when it comes to following Jesus. If you're that squirrel, man, you commit to crossing that road, you better cross that road. Do you know there's flat squirrel theology in the Bible? Yeah, here it is, flat squirrel theology. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing and run over by a car. <laughs> it's true though, right? Jesus is teaching there, you've got to be salt and you've got to be light because if you mess around with that, you stop being salt, you stop being light, this world will trample you down. It will run you over. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And again, in Matthew 6, Jesus taught, No man can serve two masters, for he either will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. To think you can serve both is flat squirrel theology. Oh, the things of this world. Oh, Christ. Things of this world. Christ. Where does that leave the squirrel? right where the world will run it over. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles or your Bible apps, if that's what you're using, to Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. As we look at a text this morning that I think will help us think through counting the cost and being all in all the way. So it's Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. It's 
So my goal this morning is this, and let me say, let me preface it by saying this. My assumption for my goal this morning is that most of you, maybe not every one of you in this room, but most of you in this room have said, I follow Jesus. So there may have been a point in your time in your life where you were baptized and you made a public profession of faith and you said, I am all in on Jesus Christ. Right? So my goal this morning is to have us recount the cost of following Jesus, to revisit this idea of, of you know, what it, does it mean to be all in all the way with Jesus Christ. So let me read the passage to you so we get our minds on it, and then we'll, we'll work through the passage a little bit this morning. So we're going to be in Philippians 3, verse 7. I'm going to read down through verse 14. Just follow along as I, as I read. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained, or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul counted the cost. And he determined that to know Christ was greater than anything else. You know, it had to be so, right, for Paul? I mean, you, you think if you're in your Bible and you read it and you know a little bit about Paul's life and his journeys, you know that Paul went through a lot for Christ. One of the most persecuted and, and, and the most perilous life in history is the Apostle Paul. But he was all in all the way. Was he not for Jesus? How? How did he do that? Well, I want to submit to you that in the first, first four or five verses here, the first section of this text Paul is telling us that he has, he has never got over his salvation. There's three recountings I want to share with you this morning. And here's the first one. It's we need to recount the cost of salvation in Christ. In particular, our salvation in Christ. You know, the apostle Paul if you couldn't call him directly a murderer, he was certainly complicit in murder. He was rounding up Christians and having them killed. 
He was a big deal in Jerusalem being a Pharisee. And, and Paul decides he's going on a mission. He's going to go up to Damascus and get himself some more Christians. I had the privilege to be in Israel a couple of years ago. I took a group there, and uh, we would drive by a couple of times. The Damascus Gate in the old city of Jerusalem, north-facing gate. That, that was, you went out that gate, you were going to Damascus. So Paul went out that gate and was on his way to Damascus when what happened? <laughs> Paul meets Jesus. And he's overwhelmed by Christ. And the mercy of Christ. And the grace of Christ. And Paul is radically transformed by Jesus. To be a man who is on the Damascus road to, to persecute Christians. To now being a man who is going to be on the road to bring life that the world would see Christians. You see, we cannot ever get over our salvation. It's a part of counting the cost. If we're going to be all in all the way and we're going to be able to maintain that and do that, we have got to remember and realize what we have in our salvation. I have a Damascus Road experience kind of testimony. I grew up in a home that, that, that never went to church. Now, they weren't anti-church or anything like that. They just, I was in a family that never, just never, ever went to church. And uh, so during my growing up years, my, my, my dad got a um, promotion with a company called Montgomery Ward. How many remember Montgomery Ward? <laughs> so, uh, so he got a promotion and we moved from central New York to western New York, a town called Batavia, New York, between Rochester and Buffalo, uh, to uh, this promotion with Montgomery Moore. But after, not long after we got there, things just started going south in my parents' marriage. And, and things started getting really, really hard uh, in our home. Now, it's behind closed doors stuff, right? So I'm going to school, and I'm living life, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm just this teenager growing up, and you know, but, but home was, was hard. I, had, I got treated for ulcers in my junior high years. 13 years old and I got ulcers. And that turns into, when you get older, it turns into turning in, into other things to try and you know, make the hardness of life go away. And, and I, I just began to hang out with a crew of people there. We're all good kids, National Honor Society kids, but man, we like to, we like to party. Um, and back in those days, it was a little different era, but you know, we actually kept a keg of beer in my garage and everybody came over to my house to hang out in high school. And uh, you know, so I'm doing all normal-ish things that teenagers would do if there's no God in their life. My parents divorced. It was very, very difficult. My friends went off to college because, you know, they're a National Honor Society. I was not. I just knew enough to hang around with that crowd. But I was not National Honor Society. So I, I, I was lost. I didn't know what to do, you know. I got this stuff going on in my home. We're moving. I'm moving into an apartment with my mom. I don't know what I want to do with my life. 
friends I partied with were gone. So I found new friends to party with. And six years later, I'm living in the basement of my mom's home before it became a thing. Okay? I mean, I literally, I was 25 years old and I was literally in the basement of my mom's home. She had remarried and uh, bought a house. And so I was living in the cellar of the home. I had about one, maybe one and a half semesters worth of credit accomplished in six years. I was nowheresville. My friends were starting to get jobs. They went off to college and graduated and they're starting to become lawyers and things like this. And I'm, I'm, I'm lost. I said, all right, that's it. I got I to gotta buckle down. And so I was going back to the local community college because they would let me in. Nobody else would probably, but they let me in. So I, I actually, I went to a semester of college and I passed all my classes. And I also said, you know, no more, no more girls. Probably should, you know, leave, leave that alone for a while and try and get somewhere in life. Well, second semester, 8 a.m. history class. Doesn't a girl sit next to me? She's still sitting next to me. So we, um, she figured out, as she tells the story, she figured out, she figured I was the smartest guy in the class, so she's going to become friends with the smartest person in the class so she could get her A. Well, we talk one day and we say, let's, um, let's get together and let's study, you know, the code. A month later, she's expecting so now I'm 25 years old, living in my mom's basement. There's a girl I hardly know, and she's expecting. Had enough sense <laughs> to get married. So within a couple months, we were married, justice of the peace, in her side yard. That's our wedding day. This picture is so precious to us. We didn't, we, didn't, we didn't know anything about God in this picture. But two kids having to get married. And so we did. We end up living with her parents for a little bit, but then we got into a little humble apartment that we could afford. I, I got a job at Tops Markets. I went from returning bottles to be the assistant store manager. I'm working nights and weekends. My wife's going to college full-time during the day. We were a train wreck waiting to happen. A baby is born. You put that in the middle of this. But a funny thing, we started asking each other spiritual questions. Where does that come from? How do you get to heaven? I don't know. How do you get to heaven? I was blind leading the blind. We happened to rent an apartment from a couple that went to this Baptist church. And my wife goes to the wife and says, would they let us come in? Like, can we, can we go to your church? And so she went a couple times without me, being the guy. I don't know about this religion stuff. But after a few weeks, I went with her. We sat down, first day I ever sat over on the left side, pews, wooden pews, sat down. I'm like, this is church, okay, I've never been in church in my life. And the pastor gets up and says, 
go to hell. His first words. I was like, hello. <laughs> this is church? Okay. And, but he just taught. Now, he's a great guy. He's still kind of my pastor today. But uh, he's, he just taught through if we understood what hell was, we would never, ever say those words to anyone. And he just taught through why we would never say that to anyone. So we get out of that church service, and I'm like, I got some questions. So the beer in one hand and the landline phone in the other, I said, you know, Pastor, we got some questions. So he comes over. It took, him a, it took a week in light of some schedule things. He comes over during the day because I'm working nights, and he sits down in our little living room apartment. And basically, we were looking at him going, what do we have to do to be saved? Because we know we're lost. We, have, we know we've messed up. But we got a baby girl, and we want her to have a chance. That was Allie in the picture. And he shared the gospel with us. And that morning, March 19th, 1991, so it's our anniversary week this week, my wife and I together cried out to Jesus and said, save us. And we were radically changed. We were, we were going this way, right? You know the story. But now all of a sudden, we're going this way. I don't want to drink anymore. I want to read God's word. Our marriage, I mean, we're still working on it, but Christ became the rock in our marriage. It was the only glue that would ever going to make that relationship stick. And we started getting involved in church and being in church every chance we could. And after a few years of being discipled, I was sensing that God wanted me to be in ministry. I looked at my pastor and I said, I want what he has. And some, some people around me affirmed it. They thought they saw God working in my life. And I went off to correspondence. Well, I didn't go off to correspondence. I did correspondence school at home. And then a couple of years later, I got a chance to be the associate pastor at that church I got saved in. And then I got mentored in, that I got discipled in, that I was being trained in. I got to be trained even further as an associate pastor. The first vote failed, by the way, but that's another story for another day. The second vote was, was wonderful. But... I served there for 13 years as the associate to that guy who said, go to hell that day. In love. <laughs> and then uh, God called me to be a lead pastor for several years, and now here we are, serving with Life Action Ministries. I tell you all that to tell you that I have never got over my salvation. The only shot I got to be all in all the way is I know the grace of God in my life. I know the mercy of God. I know the power of his resurrection is real in my life. Just as Paul said in that text. There is nothing greater in this world than knowing that Jesus Christ has saved my soul. You want to be all in all the way? Recount the cost of your salvation. I trust that you can, from day to day, you can rejoice. And man, I cannot believe God saved me. Oh, glory, hallelujah. He saved my soul. 
Listen, the hardness of this life will knock, it'll knock the joy of your salvation out of you. Don't let it. This world's scary. It'll knock the joy of salvation out of you. You know, be like the um, King David, right? Psalm 51, oh, restore to me the joy of my salvation. If you need to, be that right now. Say, God, give me the joy of my salvation back. So the first thing we have to do is recount the cost of salvation in Christ. The second thing in our text here is this, by recounting the cost of serving Christ. Verse 12 and in verse 14, Paul says, I press on. Once Paul has covered the fact that God has transformed him and changed him, and he counts nothing greater in his life than knowing Christ as his Savior, he says, that enables me to press on. And he says, I'm going to press on for two things. The first one is this, I'm going to press on with a purpose to serve Christ with my life. Verse 12, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Paul says, I want to spend my life embracing the reason that Jesus Christ embraced me. That's really a, a better language there. Is, 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 it's a, it's like a, almost like a hug. It's like God embraced me and brought me in. I want to spend my life, Paul says, living out. Why did he do that? I want to embrace all that he has for me because he saved me. I want to spend my life embracing that reality. Why did God save you? I mean, there's a lot of highfalutin theological, you know, scholar debates that can go on about that. But he saved you for a purpose. He has something for you to do. The New Testament gives us two prime examples. It says, after the fruit of the Spirit, it says, become this. We are to be the fruit of the Spirit. We are to walk in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, and we are to be the fruit of the Spirit for this world to see. Does this world need to see the fruit of the Spirit? Man, does it need to see it. And the Scripture says, be that. He's called you to this. He has saved you that you would be the fruit of the Spirit for the world to see. Secondly, he says this, you become fishers of men. You're here as an ambassador for the ministry of reconciliation of Jesus Christ. Do you know that? You're an ambassador to the world. <laughs> or maybe you're an ambassador to Berrien Springs. But you're an ambassador for Jesus Christ. So I'm going to share a story with you. This is a picture. Um, this is on a bridge in... Uh, down, well, near downtown Lima, Peru. Um, I want to tell you the story leading up to this picture. Uh, I took a group of young adults to Lima, Peru on a mission trip. We had a missionary there that we supported, and part of my role as an associate pastor was missions, and so we would, every year we would take a group and we would go visit one of our missionary partners and see what we could do to help them out. So we were there, and um, we're serving for several days, uh, me and some of the guys were digging ditches during the day up in the mountains for an uh, orphanage. And then I would come down at night and I would be preaching to some of the richest people in, in Lima, Peru. Some got saved, by the way. And um, 
we were, we were doing that, and we, were, we visited the poorest of the poor and provided some basic living conditions for them. And we're helping at the school. I mean, we're busy, busy, busy. So we're near the end of the trip, and we get a night off. And if you've ever been on a mission trip, and you, you, know, you get to the night off, you're like, woo man, it's our time to just have some fun. You know, we're serving and working, but now we get to kind of just hang out and have some. So we, our missionary friend knows this great, nice restaurant down on the ocean, ocean front. And uh, so we went down there in the heart of the city, and we're having this dinner. There's like 16 of us sitting around this table. We're just having a grand old time, just laughing and rejoicing in the Lord and what he had done in our days there. And then we're getting up and walking away from the table. And this young lady who's just over my shoulder comes to me. She goes, Pastor, there's this young guy who I start talking to him about Jesus. I think, I think you might be able to share the gospel. And would you come over and share the gospel with him? And I'm like... We've known each other for like 25 minutes, right? So I can be honest with you? I'm like, I'm like um, no, it's my night off. And then I was like, no, be an example to the flock, right? Scripture says that, right? As a pastor. And I was like, all right, sure. So we met this young man on the bridge, and I just started witnessing to him. And, and we got to a place where he started getting really intrigued by how the blood of Christ could wash away his sins, really engaged in that. We're talking through all that. And eventually we get to a point where, you know, when you're, when you're doing this with someone, you get to a point where you ask them, do you, do you believe this? Do you want to confess Jesus as your Savior? And he says he does. So someone in the group actually took a picture. We're praying right now and he's receiving Christ. And he gets done with it and um, he hands this to me. This is what he made for his drug money. He would, he would weave these together, or maybe somebody knew, and he would be out on the streets in, in Lima at night selling this to make drug money. And he, after he prayed, he said, he said, I want you to have this. It's all he's got. And I want you to have this one because the red on this is, is as he understood it, is the blood of Jesus covering the black of my sin. as best of my ability, as long as I live, I'm never going to lose this. Man trusted Christ. What is worth more than that in this life? It's being an ambassador. Now, this, I'm nobody from New York, but God had us in downtown Lima, Peru, because this young man needed to hear about Christ, and he needed his soul saved. Serve, 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 serve. Count the cost of serving Christ. You never know when you just say, God, I am all in on you. I will serve you with my life. I will do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. You'll be amazed at what he does with you. We got to be all in all the way, though. And we got to count the cost that serving Christ means more in this life than anything else. Thirdly here this morning, by recounting the cost of seeing Christ. Look down at uh, verse 13 and 14. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in God in Christ Jesus. Paul had his eyes on the prize. Paul never 
took his eyes off of Jesus. He was in the vicinity of Stephen when he was martyred, right? And Stephen, what did Stephen see? Stephen saw Jesus. Paul remembers that. He never took his eyes off of Jesus Christ. That's the prize of life, is Christ. Remember Peter going to walk on the water? Took his eyes off Christ, and he sunk. Same is true for you and I. If we take our eyes off of Jesus, we're going to sink. Maybe even worse, we're going to become a flat squirrel. Because the squirrel says, I'm going to cross the road. And then the squirrel starts crossing the road, and the squirrel goes, uh-oh. Maybe I won't cross the road. No, I should cross the road. Maybe, no, I want to, no. Flat squirrel. Don't be the squirrel. See the prize and just go. He'll get you there safely. He'll get you there safely. Let me just very briefly, very quickly, share with you four ways to keep your eyes on Christ, okay? Very quickly here this morning, but important. Four words. So these aren't in the PowerPoint because I found these after I had turned the PowerPoint into Pastor Dan. Um, and find them. I came across them. Here's the four words. Devotion, church, serve, reach. Devotion. How do you keep your eyes on Christ? Have your devotions. My wife is reading through the Bible in a year right now. She is, she's plowing through that Old Testament. But you know what that's doing? Every day that's getting her eyes on Christ. Get in the Word of God, and that will get your eyes on Christ. Don't let the world choke that out of your life. You get out of the Word of God, you're going to be a flat squirrel. Second one, church. Be here. Be with God's people. Why? Because Christ is in us, is he not? You want to see Christ? Look at your brothers and sisters in Christ. And enjoy seeing Christ at work in them. Oh, you will see Jesus when you see your church family. Make it important. Serve. We just touched on that, but be willing to roll up your sleeves. Serve your community. Serve your church. Because when you do that, you will see Jesus. You will have your eyes on Christ. Reach. I almost backed out of that bridge moment because I was having too much fun. But I said no. And look what happened. Reach someone. For Jesus Christ. This world is going crazy, <laughs> right? People need Jesus, and he has saved you to do that. You want to see Christ? Step out in faith and be willing to share Jesus with somebody. 
and watch what he does. All right, so all in, all the way. Never get over your salvation. Never get over it. He's given you eternal life. He's given you himself. Never stop serving Christ. Go, 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 go. And never take your eyes off of Christ. He's the prize of life. You stay focused on him and you will be just fine. You will get to the other side of the road. Don't be a flat squirrel. Get to the other side of the road and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, you're so good. You're so long-suffering. You're so merciful. You're so kind. You are our great God. You've saved us. You've given us a purpose that is worth more than anything else in this life. By your grace and by your aid and by your help, Father, may we all be all in all the way. Let us run well. Let us run for the prize. Let us make much of you. May Christ be glorified through this church, through these people. We love you, Father. For it's in Jesus' name I pray.